Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. <laughs> uh, good morning. Good morning. You are listening to 3CR, and once again, it's that time of week. It's Friday morning, and it's Green Left Radio time. Is Dennis here? Oh, sorry, please. Uh, yeah, it's Dennis here. Dennis. And good Jacob. Morning. Jacob. Cool. This is Zane. Uh, just a disclaimer, I might give this disclaimer again later. I'm running as a candidate in the federal election. Um... You can vote for who you want for in, in wills, but I will be one of the available options. So just putting that out there, we're all, we're all volunteers here at 3CR, apart from a couple of paid staff, of which I am not. So there's no cash for comment happening, but just in the way of transparency and disclosure, I will be a candidate for the Socialist Alliance in wills. So just, just getting that out of the way and letting people know. Yes, excellent, because right now, right now is, of all times, uh, that uh, is when we need people like you running as, uh, running as alternative candidates. Um, well, I, I think that it's important to acknowledge, once again, that we are broadcasting from the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded and always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hi. Um, maybe before we, um, you know, in light of that, we, before we, you know, start talking about some of the negative news that has been happening lately, I might go and start off with actually a positive news story in um, Queensland. Mm, um, so in the Queensland Parliament... Um, um, the Queensland Parliament uh, has passed a bill guaranteeing the end of sand mining on North um, Stradbrook um, Island. Um, the North um, Stradbrook Island Protection and Sustainability Bill passed today has a plan to um, has a transition from mining jobs to long-term sustainable jobs with a $28 million investment and a focus on supporting new projects. This pro- proposal will create jobs that can last well when well past when my, uh, mining has to end. Um, member for Cairns, um, who is pre- Rob Pine, who has been previously interviewed on Green Left Weekly Radio, said in support of this bill, I support a strong plan to stimulate the ec- economic transition for Stradle. This plan will create 151 um, direct and ongoing jobs across tourism, education, training and business development sectors. I support the $5 million workers' assistance scheme developed after consultation with the A. WU, which will support affected workers transitioning to alternative and diverse employment opportunities through real on-ground assistance. This will help mine workers pursue new employment opportunities. He, he says even for this, the implications of this bill is it means that there will be no more mining happening um, on that particular place, um, which is um, 
Mr Pine also kind of like acknowledged that the central role of traditional owners of North Stradbuck Island, he said, the um, Kwandamoko people are proud people. They never ceded sovereignty of their land. They never signed a treaty with a colonial government. It was and it will always be Aboriginal land. People in this place must understand this. When the Campbell Newman LNP government renegated on the existing undertaking with the traditional owners for the Kondamuka people, it was, and I quote, one of Tio's just like terranalists all over again. So for me, tonight is about writing historical right, and I, for one, embrace this opportunity. Yeah, yeah good stuff. Yeah. And while, just while we're on the topic of Queensland and Rob Pine, the, a new Queensland bill to treat abortion as a health issue has actually been introduced by, uh, by him. Uh, so he, he, he also, on May, on May 10th, he managed to do something that's... Uh, well, many politicians thought was impossible to actually present a private member's bill to decriminalize abortion. Some members of parliament over the years have claimed that uh, to have had a private member's bill in their top drawer ready to go, but when it comes, came to crunch time, this bill never saw the light of day. This was not the, it seems like it was not the case with uh, Rob Pine. It's, uh, it's, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's pretty important to uh, highlight that um, since 1967 in Queensland, when Britain repealed the original legislation on which Queensland's criminal on which sorry on which Queensland's crime acts uh, relates, uh, abortion has been criminalized since then. So the bill introduced by Rob Pine was um, abortion law reform or women's right to choose 2016, and which has been referred by many of the uh, health community services, disability services, and family violence provision as the recommended. So, okay, good first step. Finally, give women of Australia the right and control over their own bodies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so does any, um, so who saw the Herald Sun yesterday? Any comment? My heartbeat goes a little bit up. My blood pressure rises just when you mention the word Herald Sun. Yes. Just, just when anyone ever mentions the Herald Sun, but particularly regarding yesterday's Herald Sun. Yeah. I mean, that is an offensive, horrendous newspaper, but they really, they're in, in real Herald scum form yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, so for context for um, the listeners, um, in the Herald Sun um, yesterday, they had a front page article on the upcoming Moreland anti-racism rally, um, which is happening tomorrow at 11am um, um, in Coburg, um, Coburg Mall. Coburg Mall. Yeah. What they said was basically, because there's been um, talk of um, the far right um, organising a counter-protest against um, this rally, um, the Herald Sun, they basically said, sensationalised um, the whole kind of fair and said there's going to be, which is highly possible, that there's going to be 500 police present at the rally and that there's, and basically the whole article kind of like, you know, only showed kind of the perspective of, you know, the far right and didn't have, give any sort of voice to sort of the, the organisers mm-hmm. or, or to the, to the people who are organising the protests who are, will be actually interviewing later in the show. It also had, it basically sort of painted the sort of the, the far left or the left wing sort of pro, um, people who are organising the protests as in the same breath as the sort of far right kind of neo Nazis, mm. which is, I guess, incredibly problematic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do they re- just a little bit? Yeah, I mean, do they actually realise that uh, the the anti racism rally in in Orleans actually po- uh, supported by so so many wide wide range different groups uh, like? You know, we've got community groups there, we've got, we've got religious groups, we've got trade unions, we've got um, radio stations like 3, uh, 3CR itself. 
and the city, city of Moreland itself. So the, mm. the, so the council is actually behind this. I mean, the other thing to mention is that uh, the organisers of the Say No to Racism rally did not get any quote in that article, but the United Patriots Front did get quoted. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm aware, none of those 60 organisations who signed on to endorse the Moreland Says No to Racism rally have people in their ranks who support putting a photo of Hitler in every classroom in the country. Yes, yes. But we do know that Blair Cottrell from the United Patriots Front has said that there should be a photo of Hitler and a copy of Mein Kampf in every... Uh, in every school around the country. So well, well, on that, um, I don't know when it became fashionable to quote uh, Nazi sympathisers yeah. in this country, and I think it's fairly uh, ironic and contradictory that the same newspaper that will cover itself in pictures of the Australian flag and talk about lest we forget seems to have forgotten this little chapter of history called World War Two. Well, on that topic, to change actually the topic, but to be about the same person, we're kind of talking about Blair. What's his name? Well, oh, whatever his name is. Um, Some he actually tried. To, he actually tried to speak. Um, there was a rally. I'm not sure. Do you correct me where this rally was? There was oh, yeah. Dairy rally farmers. In right. Rally in support of dairy farmers. At state Parliament. And uh, state Parliament. Yes. In where? In Victoria. Here oh, in Victoria. So apparently, yeah, he was speaking, trying, attempted to speak at that rally, um, but you know. Some people were clearly aware of his reputation, a and lot he of actually, them actually got um, and he got heckled off um, and got yelled at while he tried yeah, he to broke it. He got booed off. Yeah, but I'm not so sure what the connection between um, his ideology and um, farming and farming, like you know, how can you be for the rights of you know dairy farmers and be you know for you know, like very hateful. Well, one, ideology. And one of the articles that I read pointed out that milk is white. So someone who's, who's so enthusiastic about whiteness um, is, is likely to be a fan of uh, milk because it's <laughs> white. Uh, I'd want to ensure that. But, yeah. It's, that's, it's, so that's, uh, about, that's about the only connection that it is mm. imaginable. But, yeah, it's, it's good that those uh, dairy farmers are, like, politically savvy and... Uh, yeah, some of them <laughs> made it clear that they don't want to be associated with this sort of, you know, they've got a very legitimate campaign and it's got a lot of support in the community. And, mm. uh, yeah, they made it clear, <laughs> no, we don't want to be associated with this person. Well, in, um, on the whole issue of dairy milk, anyone sort of heard some of the recent kind of news stories? There was actually a recent sort of, um, sort of skit in um, Sean, something mad as hell, about Cole's dairy milk line where they're actually introducing... Um, a dairy milk product that's like 20, that costs 20 cents more than ordinary milk, and this milk apparently, that extra 20 cents apparently goes towards the farmers. Like it's a sort of way of promoting kind of ethical choice, ethical consumerism basically, by having a milk line that, um, a milk, a Coles brand that costs 20 cents extra. So yeah, I think there's, a, there's been a lot of sort of things in the knee about sort of dairy milk, uh, and sort and there's even been a recent, there was even a recent news story I think about the Coles milk brand being uh, made of milk powder, but I'm not completely sure about the actual validity or yeah. source of that claim. 
but it has been sort of spooked around in sort of the mainstream media. Mm. Well, from one mad Herald uh, Sun story to basically uh, the, uh, the role of the entire media with regards to the upcoming elections, Pip Hinman here wrote an excellent article on um, uh, the importance of having left-wing candidates in the, in the upcoming federal election. So, that murder, labor, and democracy, what's at stake? With polls showing growing support for the Greens and independents, the powers that be and the media hacks are becoming increasingly hysterical. With 1% and their supporters, the prospect of the July 2nd double dissolution election delivering a half pound is the worst of all possible worlds. Uncertainty threatens their profit margins and means political and economic chaos, a nightmare for the ruling class that has had it, it so go for so long. The Pip here references a very particular Daily Telegraph article screaming the headline, Save Albo. Anthony Albanese, who faces <laughs> off... Uh, who face of losing his feet, Greenler, to Green's Jim Casey. Mm. Uh, I think we have to mention here that Jim, Jim is a former secretary of the New South Wales branch of the Firefighters, United Firefighters Union. Uh, FBU, FBU, FBU up there, FBU, Fire Brigade sorry, Employees Fire Brigade, Union. Yeah, mm. Fire Brigade Employees Union. And an outspoken advocate of, of climate action too, which is, is fairly unique for someone in a trade union leadership mm. uh, position. It, Jim Casey's been very vocal about supporting the sort of demands that the grassroots climate movement have put forward. Like we need a rapid conversion to renewables. Yeah. Well, as someone, uh, well, as someone whose job requires fighting the, bro- the most, uh, how do I say, this, most direct uh, symptoms of climate change, I assume, uh, you know, uh, he would he would know he would know a thing or two of how. Uh, climate change is affecting Australia, especially, especially the, bush, the bushfires here. Yeah, it's, um, there's sort of there's a lot of sort of interesting analysis on whether you know uh, other progressives and sort of independents will gain sort of traction in this future coming federal election, mm-hmm. and we may get into another situation like what the the election before last one where we had a hung parliament mm-hmm. um, with the Julia Gillard government, and hence that's why there's been a lot of angst from all the sort of major political parties about. Preferences. Labor is actually on record. Labor has been sort of almost refusing to sort of preference the Greens. Um, mm. in, f- in fact, uh, Albanese is actually uh, well in defending his seat against against in defending his seat against the Greens. Albanese is. Uh, in a, a, week be, a week before every single federal election, Albanese has actually issued a flyer warning that a vote for the Greens is a vote for the coalition, and um, which has kind of been a bit of a paradoxical position since uh, so both parties can claim that vote for the Greens or vote for the for the other. For the so other half of the capitalist duopoly. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I don't know, Jim Casey. Well, well he, he, he might be doing some deep entry work. Well, that's true. He's secretly a Liberal Party member. Yeah. <laughs> he spent years as a trade union organiser calling for radical action on climate change. But indeed. Once indeed. he gets in... Straight to the crossbenches <laughs> and voting with the Liberals well, every time. Yeah. Well, Casey's answered to the various smears, including Albanese's efforts to cast him as supporter of a coalition government in preference to a shortened Labour government. He basically, he basically argued that uh, parliamentary democracy is more robust with social movements and trade unions on the rise that are able to hold governments to account. Well, I think that's... Uh, well, yeah, that was a statement that was widely taken out of context because what Jim Casey was saying in sort of the simplest term to say. He was basically saying he prefers a world where there was a situation where there was strong people movements, um, lots of action and rank-and-file unionism and grassroots activism on the ground, but we had a Liberal government. 
he would prefer that world over one with a Labour government if the people were passive and not being active politically. He wasn't saying that Liberal, he would prefer the world is better under Liberal government. He wasn't making that correlation that that the people movements would be stronger under a Liberal government or anything, but Mm. that's a matter of debate amongst sort of um, left-wing kind of activists, like whether, you know, times of crisis radicalise people more or not. Mm. The accelerationist perspective. Yeah, but that stems from that historical analysis that sees Labour Party governments uh, typically co-opting and demobilising social movements. And so he's saying social movements are so important. We, we can't just get progressives in Parliament. You've got to have powerful social movements. So, mm. Well, that's the only way you can get progressive, real progressives into Parliament in the first place. Mm. But, I mean, even mm. in, as we've seen in Greece or, or elsewhere, once you get progressives into Parliament, they come up the, uh, against the, the power of the state and the power of capital, so you have to have those powerful social movements to to back up progressive governments if they want to implement uh, radical change, and it's it's got to be an international uh, movement as well. Mm. But yeah, I think that's a really healthy thing from Jim Casey because he's he's not one of these parliamentarist greens who just sees winning seats as the end game. Yep. He's very conscious of the fact that social movements are so important. It's not just about... Yeah, and I think it would be quite a very exciting sort of development for the left in Australia if um, Jim Casey was to win that seat. And uh, the cha- the odds are actually looking very good, which is quite exciting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, because he'll carry that perspective into the Greens as a member of Parliament, and that, that'll be a very useful voice against those within the Greens who are advocating the opposite, um, making sort of dodgy backroom deals and, you know, just trying to get more seats in Parliament at the cost of a principled position and a movement-building outlook. Green Left Radio. All right. So, you're listening to Green Left Radio. It's Friday morning on 3CR. And yeah, we're about to hear from Michael Leibowitz. Yeah, yeah um, for yeah, for the re- um, this is a pre-recorded kind of interview that I did with um, Michael Leibowitz back when um, they were actually in Melbourne. So I hope you listeners enjoy it because it's, um, quite it was an interview I particularly enjoyed doing. Should we give a bit of an intro onto Michael Leibowitz? Ah, uh, well. There is an introduction in the actual pre-recording itself. But, yeah, Michael Lebowitz, just for the record here, was he's a sort of Marxist um, theorist based in Canada um, who was recently in Australia for the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference took place from May 13th to May 15th and at the University of Sydney. Oh, all right, so you're on, um, we're on FreeCR Radio um, um, for the Green Left Weekly Radio, and I have here... Mike Libwitz, um, who's a professor of economics at Simon um, Fraser University of Canada. Um, Mike was spent um, six years in Venezuela working as a director for the program of the program for transformative practice and human development at the Cetro International Miranda, and he is one of the um, world's leading um, Marxist authors today, and has many books including The Socialist Imperative, and Beyond Capital, and The Socialist Alternative. Right, so, um, Michael, um, I wanted to sort of ask, you know, what do you sort of see as, um, there's this sort of talk about the rupture and what kind of, like, 
a rupture in sort of politics and what do you sort of think about, you know, what that rupture is? Well, um, I think that if you look at Marx, uh, not through the, the traditional Soviet interpretation and texts, etc., but if you look at, go back and look at Marx, you find that there was an enormous focus on human development um, in Marx. Um, and, and that human development didn't drop from the sky. It necessarily occurred through practice. People transformed themselves through their activity. Now, once you grasp that and once you you know see that as a core of Marx's thinking and it runs through everything whether it's talking about how the kind of people produce you know and who produce themselves within capitalist relations or what happens when workers struggle uh, how they transform themselves or what happens when they don't struggle and how they are you know left as what Marx called apathetic more or less well-fed instruments of production uh, when you focus on that you understand that you have any process of trying to build a new society, of trying to build socialism, must involve protagonism of people, must involve their development of their capacities, either in the work, both in the workplace and also in communities. Uh, so how, if one understands that, how can one not see as central to the whole development of a socialist economy of workers' management? Uh, how can you avoid, you know, dem democracy in, in the communities, etc.? And those are things that we, you know, when we were, when Martin and I were in Venezuela, we really focused on. And my program, as you mentioned, was transformative practice and human development. Uh, so what, that gave me enormous, you know, uh, sort of scope. So I could, you know, deal with the question of worker management. I could deal with what was happening in the, com in the communal councils in Venezuela. Uh, uh, every, I, I, in fact, I would, tack on to any subject that I wanted to that, and human development. So the, the economic, the ecological crisis and human development. Uh, poverty, uh, patriarchy and human development. You know, it, it was, it was wonderful, you know, and we were able at one point to bring in, you know, uh, international experts, etc., because that was the initial con conception of uh, the SIM, the Centro International Miranda. Uh, yeah. And um, you, you talk um, in your work, you talk about um, the practices of um, so-called kind of real socialism um, in, say, as practiced in um, the Soviet Union, um, Yugoslavia, and I want to sort of ask, you know, what were kind of like the missteps, you know, that were taken in that process compared to, say, what your vision of the 20, of what 21st century socialism is? Well, um, the rupture, I'll get back to that because I didn't really answer that point. The rupture was a break with Marx's original conceptions. And the break took the, took the form, in particular, of a, of a entirely top-down approach. Now, that top-down approach was not, you know, from my reading of, of this and being in, in many Eastern European countries and Cuba, et cetera, and, and China and Vietnam, my reading of this is it's not because these people want power. It's because they, it was what I, the subtitle of my book on, on real socialism was the conductor and the conductor. It is the conception of those at the top that, you know, only they see the whole picture. Only they are in a position to avoid mistakes. Uh, everyone else has a little part, but, but, you know, what is needed is the person who, who can see the whole picture and ensure that mistakes are not made. Um, and that, 
that for me was a, a complete violation of the best of Marxism, which understood that practice that is absolutely essential, and it went contrary, for in particular, to what Rosa Luxemburg said, that the working class demands the right to make its own mistakes and learn the dialectic of history. I, I think that is, you know, what people, not only in Soviet Union and, and Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia less so, because they allow people, you know, in, in individual enterprises to make mistakes, uh, but in Cuba too. In Cuba there has been this tendency to say, you know, we're, we're surrounded, we have this you know, blockade. We have a constant attempt to overthrow our government, you know, constant subversion. Uh, we have to prevent that and we have to, you know, ensure that things are in good hands. Our hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, what do you sort of see as like the way forward now in terms of like building socialism for the 21st century? What kind of, you know, steps and practices does the left need to take in order to make that kind of vision of 21st century socialism a reality? Well, the first thing we need is to understand the vision, to go back to the vision of, of, of a socialist society. Um, and um, one of the things I did when I was in, in, in Venezuela was um, wrote a paper for Chavez, you know, which talked about the necessity to understand socialism as an organic system of, you know, social ownership of the means of production, social production organized by workers for the purpose of social needs, uh, satisfying social needs. Now, that concept of an organic system of, uh, as a goal, that vision, I think, is necessary, you know, to communicate. I think this is what Fidel called the battle of ideas. We have to engage in that battle. We have to, you know, engage in the ideological struggle. And, you know, we have to find ways to communicate uh, this, these concepts. Uh, and you know, certainly, you know, something like, you know, the, the radio station, the, you know, uh, that you're working with here at this particular point, the radio station is an important, you know, means of, of communicating ideas that can never be communicated on the, on the capitalist media. Uh, so I, I think, you know, this, this kind of, uh, you know, use of community media, um, use of, you know, um, social media, uh, these are the ways we have to struggle to put forward an alternate view because the rest of it belongs to them. Um, well, you kind of like, um, I was going to ask you a question, you know, what, what do you, um, 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 what is the kind of like importance of community media? But I think you might have covered. But do you sort of have any sort of more kind of points to add about you know the value of like community radio as opposed to like you know media sort of that's owned by corporate interests and and the rich? So what, what any sort of any concluding comments on that? Well, only you know we have a, a community media in Vancouver, um, and it's very important. You know, it, it has specifically political programs, but it also has programs which reach out to the particular community. So the Palestinian Voice, uh, many indigenous programs, uh, re which are part of a process of of building those communities, so those communities can be strong and engaged in the struggle. And I think community media is the only thing that can do that. Yeah, perfect. All right, thanks for that, Michael. Okay. It was very great having you on our program. Yeah, well, thanks. Well, enjoyed it and could have gone on for hours. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow, intense as, uh, as all interviews uh, are, are with Michael there. Yeah. While we are on topic of, uh, of Latin America, I thought, it would, I thought it was important to um, give a few updates and a few uh, 
few, a, few, a few updates on what has been taking place in Brazil with mm. the uh, with the ousting of the uh, of, of Dilma Rousseff and um, the new neoliberal right wing government that has uh, that has been put in charge there since uh, M- Mikhail Temer as they can as the interim president of Brazil there have been countless mobilizations uh, in Brazil and actually across the world against the coup that has been implemented um, uh, first of with, within Brazil there have been uh, well, apart from numerous uh, protests there's also been a growing uh, unity and coordinated action between uh, some of the main uh, social and grassroots movements there the popular Brazil front which was a broad coalition that includes the Unified Workers Central, Landless Rural Peasants Movement, said in a statement that the Senate had capitulated in the face of oligarchy's coup against the Constitution and become an accomplice to the fragrant breach of the democratic order. The Front insisted the popular vote has been usurped by parliamentarians seeking to seize power. Acting without the backing of elections, they are part of the coalition of conservative forces that came together to establish an illegitimate government at the service of large local and international economic groups. Uh, They also described Dilma's temporary removal as nothing more than a farce, with no crime of responsibility having been committed. It means towards inflicting heavy setbacks on Brazilian workers. There have also been mobilizations of hundreds of thousands of uh, of workers, students, women, and basically anybody opposed to being ruled by a uh, coup-installed government ruled by old, rich, white, corrupt men. Along with the domestic reaction, there's also been international outrage with the uh, as the coup has has continued at least eight Latin American governments have rejected the ouster of Dilma so uh, countries like El Salvador Venezuela and Ecuador withdrew their ambassadors in protest the Venezuelan president Nicolas Maduro has also mentioned that uh, this is the first phase of the coup and the era for popular leaders so the first, the first phase has finally began. As, uh, as some listeners would know, Latin America has uh, witnessed, has for the last 17 years, witnessed a very positive political phenomenon known, known as the pink, uh, known as the pink tide, with the socialist left-wing and progressive governments all throughout uh, coming to power all throughout the region. Yet, yeah, yet now it seems the tide is uh, ebbing back with some of the victories of the right that we, uh, we have seen there. But at the same time, what you have to remember is that um, all of these left-wing and progressive movements were, were in fact put into power by the, so- by the social movements, mm. and they've been kept into power by, by, by social movements. So the only way that we can fight back against the um, uh, resurgence of neoliberalism and a- against the installation of right-wing neoliberal governments is through forging this alternative on the streets and in the popular assemblies, in the tra- trade unions, student movements, women's movements, uh, LGBTI, environmental, all of them. Yeah, it's like what Michael Leibowitz was talking about in that interview, um, the working class, you know, learning how to be politically effective by its own struggle. Well, one sort of question I have about Brazil is, you know, the the sort of government they sort of impeached, um, they were never, they were only sort of of the centre-left, uh, from what I'm saying, like they weren't like a radical kind of far-left sort of... That's true, that's true. I mean, uh, what, what do you have to understand? The problem with the, with the government Brazil, in Brazil has been that, uh, well, unlike the ones, the, uh, the, unlike the countries like Venezuela, or, or, uh, Venezuela, Bolivia, Ecuador... Uh, Cuba, Brazil never pursued, never really pursued the goal of socialism of the 21st century per, per se. It has uh, traditionally had a very st- 
strong neo neo developmentalist uh, ideology to it. So basically, it's a combination of restoring a power of the domestic capitalist class after it was devastated after you know decades of neoliberalism. At the same time as as accomplishing some uh, progressive for economic social social goals with Brazil, I think we've seen the um, the policies that we've seen is that there's been a lot of uh, funding going towards say, social social spending towards um, a lot of like you know microcredit uh, initiatives uh, for the poor, uh, but there no, there was never any real attempt made at fundamentally breaking oligarchic uh, class there as it has been done in as I said in countries like Bolivia or Venezuela. Or Cuba, and unfortunately, as, as a result, you've, you've kind of ended up with the with the government that was that was still um, still had a neoliberalism as part of its uh, program, but nowhere nowhere near the extent uh, the extent to which the new right wing government has. We, we have se- we've seen uh, the Brazilian government under Dilma having to well, implementing austerity previously, especially the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it, in terms of like you know the perspective of the right wing forces in Brazil right now, it seems that they actually. The austerity that's already happening in Brazil is actually not good enough. We need we mm. need far more of it, and we need um, more privatisation. And that's exactly and that's exactly what the new government has been uh, implementing since they came into power. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, we've got a bit on. I reckon we should uh, have a listen to this interview with uh, Marta Heineke. Yeah, it's, an, it's another another it's another um, interview that um, was um, that is being pre-recorded um, for this show. Um, yeah, Martha Hanukkah was, um, there's going to be an introduction in the recording, but Martha Hanukkah was one of the other sort of keynote speakers at the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference and, um, in Sydney, and she is um, also, uh, she's a Chilean um, Marxist um, who's written a wide range of books. Um, on One of her most notable books is A World to Build, but, yeah, there'll be actually more information on, you know, her work in the interview. All right, so we're on Green Left Weekly Radio, and um, today I have, we are doing an interview with um, Martha Hanukkah, who's in the studio right now. Um, Martha Hanukkah is a prominent Chilean um, socialist and psychologist, <laughs> not socialist, <laughs> and social investigator who has written about social transformation in Latin America for more than 40 years. Um, Marfa was based at the Centro International Miranda Research Institute in Venezuela and served as an advisor to President Chavez and various Venezuelan institutions. Marfa is also the author of over 80 books and monographs. Her book, um, A World to Build, won the Literary Prize for Critical Thinking in 2013. Her latest book, Planning from Below, a proposal of decentralised participatory planning, was published in Spanish in 2015 and is currently being translated into English. Right, so, Martha, um, my first question in in your work, you talk about this thing, and at your talk in social um, for the Socialism for the 21st Century Conference, you talk about this need for um, a political instrument. Mm-hmm. And I would like to um, ask, you know, what do you mean? What is a political mm-hmm. instrument? And you know, what what can you tell us mm-hmm. about that? Well, perhaps we have to begin to say that we have seen in the world a rising of people big mobilizations that hasn't conduct to change the system. So uh, what I say is that it's not, um, it's very important this mobilization, but this mobilization needs to be orientated by uh, an instrument that is a political instrument that orientate the class, the movement struggle, or what we say the class struggle. 
And we speak about instrument and not party because this political instrument could be a political organization uh, as the political parties in the past but could also be a front of different organis political organization or even political organization and um, social movements integrated in this conduction orientation of the grass struggle. Oh, yeah. So we had to think of what we need in each country that is different. We have to think about our history, our way of fighting, or the struggle we have done, and construct this instrument appropriate or, or in relation of what the, the reality of each country. So um, going from there, what do, you sort of, what do you see as the way forward in terms of building socialism um, today? Like what, in, what are sort of the practical kind of steps to make? To, to construct socialism today? Yeah. Well, uh, in Latin America at least, we, uh, I think we have the situation in the world is different from uh, decades ago when the revolutions were army revolutions. Mm. Now, I say that uh, the bombs that the enemy uh, use are much more uh, mediatic bombs, what do you say? No? They, they use the ideology and the media and the TV to convince the people that they are living in a good world so they don't fight for others. Mm. No. So in that situation where you don't see in many countries, in most of the countries, in some countries we see the violence, but in most of there are uh, democratic bourgeois regimes. Yeah. In that case, I think that we can, if we arrive to convince the people that are very, very suffering from the effect of neoliberalism, we can arrive, as we have in Latin America, uh, the people began to be able to elect uh, progressive or leftist governments. And this government, not all, but the most advanced in Latin America, has proposed to, co to build a society different from capitalist society. But they have only the government in the beginning. They have not the state power as in the past revolutions, where you destroy the state by the army process. Mm. No. no. We win by elections. And we began to try to advance to the alternative society in relation of capitalism by the institutional way. And that's why we need to change the rules of the game first, the rules of the institutional game. And that's why we have done in at least three of our countries, Venezuela, Bolivia, and Ecuador, um, new constitutions, a constituent assembly, and new rules of the game. This road or this path to the alternative society that we call socialism, but some countries call in a different way the life, the the full life, no, or communitarian socialism, well, many, many words, doesn't matter the word, the objective is a society where the, the, the central thing is not profit, is not individual, is a society where men, mankind, is in the center, and uh, you build a, so, uh, the logic of profit is replaced by the logic of human and solidarian relation of men and women. No? Mm. So, but this 
path is very difficult because we have, in general, not all the power of the state. We, we, we have to win the parliament. We have to win the local governments. We have to fight against the inherited culture and the, and the media that are, in general, in the hands of the opposition. So we began to advance because even if we have not the full power, we have the government, and from the government we can do many things, and that has been demonstrated in Latin America no, against this radical left that thinks that it doesn't matter. Uh, if you don't have the state power, you cannot do anything. We can. We have demonstrated that. But for doing that, we need revolutionary cadres in the government. Yeah. Because if, if you have, um, sometimes the left arrives to a government in the past, and Latin America has happened, and they didn't do anything. They mm -hmm. were not revolutionary. They were only the title of the left. No? Yeah. Um, so in your work, you talk about um, this need for the left to win the hegemony um, away from the right. Yeah. And what do you kind of mean yeah. by that? Well, in this um, path, Pacific path, we need to win the hegemony. What is hegemony? Is the, that our ideas, our project of society, our program should be accepted and the people should identify with that. Mm -hmm. So our values are taken by the people, most, a big quantity of people, the majority of the people of the country. If you arrive to convince, like this is a... Hegemony is to convince, not to impose. Right? Yes. So, when we have the hegemony, people, um, how you say, no siguen, people are uh, share share our project. That ah, is yeah. the more that, that word is very important. They share, they defend, they feel that themselves are interested in the objective we fight for. Yeah. It's, it's almost sort of like that idea of, um, that Marx put forward about false consciousness, like we're trying to win, it's like about winning workers to, you know, the ideology, um, the, ide the ideology. Yeah. Of, well, of uh, Mike, Marx says that the working class sometimes uh, fights in favour of capitalism yeah. because they are not conscious, they have no class conscience. Yeah. They have to have they have to understand what capitalism is to fight against. Yeah. Because if not, capitalists convince them that is the only way of living. Yeah. But hegemony is much more than that, because it's not only the working class. You have to convince all the society, all the different sectors of the society that could be against the principal enemy. Yeah. And principal enemy today for us, I think, are the corporations the big capitalists, no? not the little or medium capitalists, for example, that could we win for our project. And we have this kind of um, relation in Latin America because um, the globalization now and the corporations, well, uh, those who are uh, uh, succeeding, no? they are um, submitting the little and the medium capitalist and um, they are suffering from the contradictions of the system. Hmm. All right. That's um, perfect. Um, but the last sort of question I want to ask you is um, what do you think about the importance of you know, community media because we are recording 
um, this so this program we're recording for a, like a community kind of based um, radio program and um, we're interested in like hearing what are your thoughts about the importance of mm. community media as opposed right. to bourgeois kind of media yeah. well uh, I think in general that media in the hands of the left is very very important because we are now fighting against the, uh, the bombs of of the capitalist uh, bourgeois ideo ideology no? yep. that are submitting our, the conscience of our people. So anything we do in the media is important, but also it's very important for me working in communities. Mm -hmm. I am a passionate a, 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 a person that is passionate by the protagonists below in the little communities. And I think that radio, uh, community radios, arrives with messages that are much more near the people because they know the problems of the people and they are referring to a concrete a group of people no? and, uh, and they could um, arrive in a better way the, they, they could personalize more the message mm. if they do a good work because they could do it no? Oh, that, that was perfect, uh, Marfa. And, um, uh -huh. Thanks very much for, for taking the time to do an interview for, um, with us for Free CR. Uh -huh. yeah, and, and have a good Thank day. Thank you, Yako, yeah. for your... Yeah. Hello, you're yeah. back on Green Left Weekly Radio. Mm -hmm. um, so now uh, I'm going to um, announce the activists, uh, what's on the activist calendar. So um, this Saturday um, we'll be... The um, um, yeah, we'll get advertised. We've we'll get advertised quite a lot in this program. We've advertised quite a lot. The rally Moreland says no to racism, which will be rallying against the forced closure of Aboriginal communities. Treaty now. Let the refugees in. Close Madison Nauru. No to Islamophobia. Get and we're um, gathering outside um, Coburg Library, Victoria Street Mall, and then March to Bridges Reserve, Bell Street. Coburg uh, for community speakout and entertainment. Bring your lunch and join with other. Um, Moreland residents in saying our community supports a diversive and inclusive Moreland, initiated by um, Sue Bolton, Moreland Council, and endorsed by 60 groups. It will be tomorrow, 11 a.m. at Coburg Mall. On that same day, um, there will be a concert for Kobani School for War Orphans. It will be at 7 p.m. Um, this Saturday, May 28th, at the Kurdish um, Democratic Community Centre of Victoria, 36 Faulkner Road, Pasco Vale. All are welcome. And um, with the federal uh, election um, coming up, there will be um, a candidates forum on climate and on sustainability for the seat of Wills. Um, you'll be able to have your say and quiz the election candidates. There will be um, all the candidates from in standing in Wills' own right, including our very own Zane Alcorn, who's a presenter on the show. Um, there will be um, one, two... Uh, I think there's at least actually I've um, heard there's actually at least seven candidates confirmed, and so we only on on this on um, we just um, there's going to be a candidate from the Socialist Alliance who's Zane Alcorn, Tristan Sh Tristan Shadow from the Sex Party, um, Camilla Camilla Kennedy Sodo from um, Animal Justice Party, Peter Khalil from Australia Labor Party, and Samantha Ratnam from the Greens. Um, the next um, they'll be at on the Monday, the 30th of May, 7pm, for a 7.30pm start, Coburg Concert Hall, Moreland Civic Centre, 90 Bell Street, Coburg, and it is organised by Climate Action Moreland and endorsed by a range of local organisations. Um, the following Saturday, um, um, the 4th of June, the, um, the Social Science will be having their federal election campaign launch. 
um, which, um, which will be, um, which will be in the Antonia Cultural Centre, um, one, um, which is 195 Sydney Road. It'll be start, it'll be Saturday the 4th of June at 6.30 and, um, the, um, there, there'll be more details um, coming shortly, but uh, all I can confirm is that um, our presenter, Zane Alcorn, will be present at the federal campaign election launch. That's me. <laughs> and just to declare, I am indeed running as a candidate, and um, you can vote for whoever you want for. Uh, the 3CR is um, a community radio station. It allows its members to participate in the democratic process, uh, we don't want to induce you to vote one way or another. You can invite for whoever you want for, uh, but certainly I will be one of the available options. So, yeah, there's that disclaimer for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, what else is in the news? Well, what's going on? Well, we just had a um, with our, um, in light of our interviews of um, both with the pre-recorded interviews we did of uh, Michael Lewis and Martha Hanukkah, we actually have not actually talked about that, um, the conference, um, Social for the 21st Century conference that happened um, two weeks ago. And um, Susan Price um, has actually written an article about um, the conference and um, declares it, you know, to be a success. Um, she uh, says, you know, Sydney um, University campus um, came alive with political discussion, talks and workshops for three days during the Social for the 21st Century conference held over May 13th to 15th. Um, the conference had more than 30 sessions and 50 speakers, including, you know, our international special guests Martha Hanukkah, Michael Lewis and Ian Angus. Um, local and international activists shared their experience of struggle and, dis- and discussed the necessity of building alternatives to capitalism today. Up to, um, and the conference had over, over 400 registrations. Um, he had the face task of choosing from a range of um, sessions on offer. Um, the highlights of the conference were included the worldwide launch of Ian Angus's new book, Facing Your Apprecine. Um, copies of the book sold out before the talk had finished. We also had, um, on, uh, they also had contribution of First Nations leaders, such as Sam Watson and Ken Canning. Talks from activists from, you know, countries such, um, such as East Timor, Kanaki, Malaysia, the Philippines, India and Pakistan. You know, this gave the conference a strong anti-racist and anti-imperialist focus. With uh, Hazim, Hazim Aziz address to the conference live from Majeva about the campaign to rebuild, rebuild the city of Kobani was particularly moving. Um, there was also struggles, um, sessions on the struggles for sex and gender um, quality, you know, which brought activists from you know LGBT IQ and feminist activists together for workshops and fighting misogyny and against homophobia. We also had the participation of um, there was also the participation of anti-mining activists, including farmers Helen Bender and Ellen Garcia, working the importance of constructing lines to challenge the might of fossil fuel corporations. And um, the final conference session on building alternatives drew together many of the ideas raised in the conference, including the need for tactical openness in the project to build a mass movement for social Australia that unites the majority and and um, strong. Um, you know, Peter Boyle, who spoke on behalf of Socialist Alliance, one of the organisations hosting the conference, at, conference said the left needed a flexible and constructive interiorization towards the Greens and any other significant political project of a left-wing directory. However, there remained some an important role for some form of political organisation that helps socialists to collectivise activity experience and to educate and train new generation of socialist activists. Bringing together such activists and conference, um, conferences such as this is definitely a part of advancing such a project. 
Now, the audio and um, video of key conference sessions will be available online soon. Visit socialismforthe21stcentury.org for updates. Oh, clearly that'll be really important for all the listeners who weren't able to come to the conference. Yeah, cool. And there were some really good sessions there. One of my favourite sessions was uh, Where Am I Woman, Vicky Greaves. And uh, she was talking about, I guess, overlaps between traditional Aboriginal ways of um, thinking or approaches to the world and socialist ideas. Um, and so some of the ideas she was discussing had similarities with the uh, Ecuadorian idea of buen vivir, buen vivir yeah. living well, yeah. rather than trying to accumulate heaps of stuff, just focusing on having a good quality lifestyle. Um, so there's a, there's a similar Aboriginal idea about living well in a world that is worth living in. Uh, she also spoke about uh, Waramai, um, the, the end of some Aboriginal country names, uh, Gamilaray, Waramai, names ending in Amai. Um, she said that there's been, like, some of that's been kind of lost in translation when the names of those countries were recorded, but this Amai word means I have, and I think she was saying Waramai, the place name, means nothing is what I have, and that this is a, um, a, a point of pride for people from that country because accumulation and hoarding was really frowned upon in Aboriginal culture, and to live in a country the name of which is nothing is what I have indicates that the people in your country are on their A-game when it comes to sharing what they are able to uh, gather. And that is a source of great uh, pride and kudos in, in Aboriginal culture. So, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard other people talk about th those sort of ideas before, but Vicky Greaves really put it very succinctly and mm -hmm. gave very specific examples. Very informative and uh, amazing session. Yeah. Well, by, by, probably some of my, the highlights of the conference for me was um, Ian Angus, you know, presenting, um, speaking about his new book, Facing the Adversine, um, which sure, um, the Facing the Adversine, you know, I'm actually reading the book right now, so I can sort of comment a bit briefly on the book. Um, basically, sort of the central kind of argument is that, you know, we're getting into sort of a new sort of, you know, stage of, you know, environmental catastrophe, and, you know, it is all core, and it is really... Um, due to sort of the human activity of, you know, polluting fossil fuels. And sort of, the, you know, the conclusion that this book is leading into is that, you know, we're getting into a state where we actually have to take immediate climate action now, otherwise we're, we're all in, you know, a state... Otherwise the, the, the consequences will be quite severe. Um, another, some other sessions I enjoyed was um, some of the sessions on um, the, Euro the developments of the European left, mm. um, there was one on um, the, develop, um, the rise of the far right in Europe and the crisis of the European Union. And there was also a great session with Dick Nichols, uh, our, our, our correspondent from Spain who came over for the conference. He did an excellent um, breakdown of the current economic and political situation in Spain uh, there. There's been some very, very interesting developments. Yeah, right. the, the rise of Podemos. Uh, well, it's not just the rise of Podemos, but actually, uh, uh, recently, a rise of a of a united of a united left mm. uh, 
electoral uh, front there that got st- uh, basically they call themselves Together We Can or Unidos Podemos. Hoaxley aiming to Hoaxley aiming to displace the old. Horribly misnamed Socialist Workers Party mm-hmm. in Spain, mm-hmm. as not just as the main force for the left, but also as the as the main opposition uh, in Spain. Mm. Uh, so of, co- of course, Dick also highlighted this uh, will not this will not this will not be easy since um, the economic and political class in Spain is far more entrenched than the one than than the one that was in Greece um, over there. But also, also the private uh, enterprise, private and, and the private, uh, private media, uh, f- uh, private media have uh, really gone into on, have really begun be going into, into overdrive in order to portray United Left as as just destructive and uh, destructive, irresponsible, and agents of Cuba and Venezuela and all this <laughs> uh, usual crap. <laughs> Yeah, right. Well, kind of, it just shows their desperation. So there's a Spanish version of the Herald Sun happening. And the, uh, oh, sure, yeah. of course. Well, <laughs> it's been uh, well, well Sp- a Spanish ver- version of the Herald Sun makes Herald Sun look left wing. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's intense. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh-huh. All right, so we have our interview um, for Green Left Weekly Radio. We have Maureen Murphy on the, on the line here. Um, Maureen Murphy is uh, is an activist who has been one of the main organisers for the um, tomorrow's Moreland anti-racism rally. So, hello, Maureen. Hi, Jacob. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. And good. we have um, Zane here on the show, and um, me, and Dennis, who's just about to leave. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey, Maureen. Good morning. Yeah. yeah so, um, for this issue, I wanted to, um, you know, before we go into sort of all the sort of, um, you know, all those sort of developments that sort of happened at the rally. I, I kind of wanted to sort of have a, like, you know, ask you about sort of the beginning of the rally, how, you know, sort of what was the sort of the aims of, the, uh, of this rally and, you know, how you've um, sort of came to sort of building sort of a broadly kind of supported um, anti-racism rally with over 60 organisations um, supporting it. So um, we started meeting in February, and this was um, at the time that we saw the photos of those 37 babies that were going to be sent back to Nauru and Manus Island. And a group of Moreland residents came together, and this was initiated by Councillor Sue Bolton. And we started to organise a local event in the city of Moreland, which was around around some of these demands um, about racism and actually bring the community together into Moreland and build some sort of network of people within the city of Moreland who stand in solidarity with, um, our, you know, the diverse communities represented in the municipality and and to start something, you know, but, but building on, you know, some of the very... Um, building on all the local work that had gone on today. So that was sort of way back in February and so... Our three, um, when we discussed, well, what should the demands of this rally be, we saw that the primary demand should be around um, Aboriginal land rights. This was on the back of, you know, a number of very significant rallies last year around stopping the forced closure of Aboriginal communities. And I think for us in Australia, this is sort of where the root of all racism comes from, the fact that we've never actually recognised, that we've never, um, you know, 
established a treaty with the First Peoples of this um, nation. So our first demand was around treaty now, stop the forced closures of Aboriginal communities. And then we were picking up on the refugee struggle. And, you know, and as I say at the time, there was a lot of concern um, around that group of refugees that was going to be sent back to Nauru and, you know, the babies in particular. And then our third demand, we come from a very diverse community in the city of Moreland and we do know that there's a lot of people in Moreland who are experiencing racism on a daily basis and these are predominantly our Muslim brothers and sisters and predominantly our Muslim sisters who, um, are, you know, are often the targets of physical abuse. So we did want to actually um, provide a network of organisations that would come together and say, no, this is this is um, not good enough. We say no to racism and we say yes to diversity and multiculturalism. Um, so the next, uh, <coughs> sorry, oh, sorry, just to have you right. Um, the next question is, um, uh, in the Herald Sun yesterday, um, there was a sort of a bit of a sort of um, article that was sort of um, that was basically kind of um, portraying sort of the because um, the the count you obviously have heard that the um, the far right have um, found out about the rally and you know or have organised against. Um, against um, the rally tomorrow. And so what has been sort of our, your response to, um, to this and how, how, what, are you, what is your sort of strategy to dealing with this? Well, I suppose, Jacob, um, what we've found since we started organising in February is that these three demands around treating now, let the refugees in and no to Islamophobia, They've resonated really strongly with the community and we've got more than 60 organisations, as you mentioned before, who have endorsed the rally. So we see that the best strategy for defence of this rally and also the best strategy in terms of actually building an ongoing movement of solidarity with, you know, the, you know, the many diverse peoples in this community is to, is to build a large and peaceful rally and actually to, um, through the strength of our numbers and, and um, to actually say that, no, this is not enough and, um, and, and we're going to continue to organise around, um, you know, d- demands related to diversity and demands against racism and we will not be intimidated and will not be stopped. So, um, so we are building and we are continuing to build a big rally and we are also at the same time working closely with a large group of marshals that will that have been um, briefed quite extensively on how to um, you know create a safe space for us to protest. And we've also met with the police on a number of times. So we do know that there will be the far right there, and we do know that there will be an enormous number of police. So we are going to be there tomorrow at Coburg Library at 11am and we expect to see many delegations of supporters, many from the endorsing organisations and and we hope that this event will go off as and it will be peacefully peaceful. That's what we're that's what our aim is is to create a diverse and peaceful event. So yes, um, just. Just when we started organising all this 
back in February and we leafleted the um, Sydney Road Street Festival at the end of February or beginning of March. And, you know, we we didn't anticipate at that stage that the far right would target a small, you know, like a, a, a local rally, you know, in sort of the pocket of Melbourne. But, yes, they have. But, as I said, we'll not be intimidated. We're continuing to build a rally, but we're also taking precautions and we're not going into this blindly. We're, we're, we've got quite um, a lot of things in place to ensure that the rally will be peaceful and safe. And, Maureen, uh, who can you just... Uh discuss some of those 60 uh, organisations that have endorsed the rally? Because there's quite a spread there of different groups from different backgrounds. Yeah, so um, like our number one endorsee, I think, is the Victorian Traditional Owners Land Justice Group. As I said, our number one demand in this rally is around treaty now because Australia, as you know, has, has never recognised and has, has never acknowledged the, um, you know, the, tr- the first owners of, of, or the first peoples of this country. Mm. But we've got a range of other organisations. So we've got about six unions that have endorsed, and we see that as a significant step forward. This was a rally saying no to racism, and, and you know, unions have come on and said, yes, we stand with you. We, you know, so we we're quite um, pleased about that. We've got organisations like Friends of the Earth, 3CR, um, Ceres, Environmental Park. Mm. Um, we've got a large number of of the um, sort of the, you know, well, the ethnically diverse organisations within the city of Moreland, but also we've got state organisations like the Islamic Council of Victoria. And then we also have, um, like, a large number of the local community groups, like the neighbourhood houses and the churches. And so we do actually have, you know, a very broad church behind us. Well, not behind us, but behind those three demands mm. that are, that are um, you know, saying no to racism. So we actually think that, you know, these demands have resonated really well. And unfortunately, yes, over the last few days, we've seen more about you know, these meatheads are going to be, you know, rallying against our rally. <laughs> um, but but essentially our starting point is, no, you know, this is not good enough. The federal government policies that are sort of engendering and providing, you know, an environment where these sort of racist ideologies can flourish, we're just saying, no, you know, that's not good enough. We're going to do something different in this in this local area, and we will link up with other local areas over time and, and we will, you know, start to build from the ground up some sort of network of people in solidarity with, you know, the different struggles around diversity and against racism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the fact that um, you know the, the, the far right is actually threatening to organise a counter um, protest actually to me tells me um, shows me kind of like the importance of actually organising a rally like this, and and we actually need to sort of you know stand firm and make it as big as possible. Um, though in actually in light of that, um, Sam Ratnam from the Greens has um, actually withdrew from speaking um, at the rally tomorrow, and I was wondering you know what what is your sort of Personal opinion, you don't have to, like speak on behalf of all the organisers or anything, on on that on that um, that decision from Sam Ratnam. 
Yes, um, it's disappointing that one of our speakers has withdrawn. At this, um, Sam Ratman is the only speaker that's withdrawn. Yesterday we contacted all the speakers just to ensure that everyone was feeling okay and we also contacted all the endorsing organisations. So we haven't had any withdrawal of endorsements and, um, and no, no speakers have withdrawn apart from um, Sam. But as I said, you know, our focus is on um, building a large and peaceful rally and we will be there tomorrow and we hope that listeners of 3CR will come along in droves. Mm. And we also hope that people won't be intimidated by, you know, the presence of the far right, you know, several hundred metres away from where we will be and and that um, we don't let the far right dictate you know, when and where we can rally. Like, like as I said, we were most surprised that they decided that this was going to be, you know, their rallying point for 2016. Um, and we also see that if, you know, if we get intimidated by this, you know, what's next? The Palm Sunday Peace March, because they have rally demands around uh, refugees. Is it, you know, the next, next Refugee Action Collective Rally, sort of, so no, you know, don't let it start here in Moreland. Yep. Mm. Well, um, I, let's let's um, get on with this um, rally. We'll do it as we'll, we'll do it as safely as possible. We're not going to engage with the fascists. As I said, we've got an approach of you know having having a, a non you know confrontational sort of approach in terms of our marshalling and and we are going to do everything we can to protect um, the participants of the rally and we are working and liaising closely with the police. Well, actually, in, um, on, on Palm Sunday in Sydney, actually, um, the far right actually did organise a counter-protest, but, of course, you may have not ever even heard of that because the Palm Sunday rally on Sunday was so big that they, it completely overwhelmed um, the far right and it barely, you know, made a mention. You know, that that's obviously kind of like the ideal scenario, um, you know, um, for, for for this. You know, if, um, if there's... If the far right do show up, if our rally is as big as possible, you know, they'll barely, you know, rate a mention. In fact, in fact, probably what we'll rate a mention is the amount of excessive police presence that uh, is possibly planned um, for the rally. Um, but we're actually getting to sort of the um, end of this. Do you sort of have any concluding ma- remarks you want to make about the rally, uh, Maureen? Um, well, just that let's tell our government that their racist policies are not good enough. Let's build a movement... And starting off here, or building on, you know, existing work that's gone on, but let's, let's come, let's be there at Moreland tomorrow and say no to racism, let's say treaty now, let's let the refugees in, and no to Islamophobia. For real. And I think there's uh, about 400 RSVPs for the event on Facebook, and we know that there's other people coming uh, apart from those RSVPs. Um, yes, we know that there's lots of people who don't go on Facebook, and we do know that local organisations who are endorsees are arranging contingents of people to come, and there's, you know, a lot of banner making's been going on, and so we do expect that there, we do, we do expect that there will be people who don't, you know, go on Facebook who will be there, so yeah, we're hoping that, um, um, the weather will also be kind to us. I was just checking the weather report before, so uh, you know, hopefully 
by this time tomorrow we'll be in a really good space and this time in two days' time we'll be all patting ourselves on the back and, you know, having a real, being really proud of this celebration of diversity. For sure. All right. Well, thanks heaps, Maureen, and uh, good work. Okay. Keep it staunch. Yeah, keep it good work. We'll we'll see you there tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see you there tomorrow. Great. See you. Bye. All right. Uh, So, yeah, Maureen Maureen Murphy there, one of the uh, leading organisers of the More Than Says No to Racism Rally. Um, And, yeah, make sure you bring a raincoat tomorrow, uh, bring a little knapsack with some water and snacks. And, uh, yeah, let's not be intimidated. Let's make a vocal stand against racism in our our community and our society. And I completely agree with that. So, All right. That's us for another week. Yep. See you tomorrow. And thanks for listening. Word. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Green Left Radio is brought to you by the Green Left Weekly newspaper. Green Left Weekly provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to Green Left Weekly and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it's only $10 for the first seven issues. Thank you for listening. You are tuned to 3CR Community Radio 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. I'm a